Welcome to Straight Talk Wealth with your experts in all aspects of wealth accumulation, preservation, and income planning guaranteed to last a lifetime. And now your host of Straight Talk Wealth, Bruce Whitey. By the way, my name is Bruce Guest, the Bruce. Tall, big, beautiful, and strong. Hey, well, I don't know how tall, big, beautiful, and strong I might be, but my name is Bruce Whitey, and welcome to this special podcast and uh, CD version of Straight Talk Wealth Radio. Better make sure nothing happens to my goals. Well, I'm, I'm working on it, Mr. T, but uh, my role here, uh, today's show is called Addicted to Stimulus. Can Mr. Bernanke get our economy through rehab? Now, this drug-addicted uh, metaphor is is so appropriate wow, for what man. is currently influencing our markets, our economy in this country. We're going to look at it in detail today. My job really is to help hardworking people understand who are going to be the winners and the losers in this historically unique financial decade of the 2010s. And maybe think it's all smoothed out and uh, we're just on for another repeat of another decade. But I think we have a lot more surprises in store in this decade. So uh, welcome to the podcast version. This is where we get to be a little bit more storytellers and a little bit less infomercial than when we're on broadcast radio, I will unashamedly admit. Um, you got to, you know, when you're on broadcast, you don't have a lot of time to tell your story. You can't tell it nearly in detail. This is going to be a longer version. We can really do some details. All I can really do on broadcast radio is poke people in the eye and urge them that there is a reason to find out more and try to connect them to our channels to find out more. You can go to our website at www.straighttalkwealth.com. We try to keep that up to date. World of information. Get on our mailing list. We are back on doing very current weekly emails about what is happening in current economic news, uh, breaking it down for you, helping you understand what the current situation you see in the environment means to your personal situation, uh, particularly baby boomers that have 10 years at best left to try to uh, get ahead and scrape up for retirement who've had very slow beginnings. Uh, you can't slip and fall this decade. One more slip and fall and game over. You're just going to be working until you're 75, and you probably will anyway if you're like most of us. Um, what are you going to hear about today? Listen, we've got some great information we're covering today. Again, the name of the show is Addicted to Stimulus. Can Mr. Bernanke get our economy through rehab? So today uh, we're going to start out... Um, I'm going to, we're going to hear from Mark Faber. I don't know if I'm going to do that first. I'm kind of looking at, I want to go over some headlines out of the Wall Street Journal. I want to talk to you about the, the bigger picture of why we've used this theme today and correlate some, just, I'm going to open up the Wall Street Journal over the last couple of days and show you how the headlines that are going on every day in the paper are exactly germane to this very topic right now in America. It is the most critical topic. How do we get off the drugs and continue to move forward? And as Mr. Bernanke is trying to get us off off the drugs of stimulus, $2 trillion of money being invented through either government spending money that it doesn't have or the Federal Reserve Bank pushing money into the system to get very slow GDP growth. What happens when we try to come off that? And do we ever have to come off of it or can we just print money forever to keep the show on the road? So we're talking about this critical juncture that we're at. That's what today's show is. Uh, about. So you're going to hear from Mark Faber. 
Uh, we're going to talk about a special report from Wall Street Journal on what's interestingly uh, is about what's going well in the economy that you may not know about. And then we're going to let Harry Dent rip that all down again. <laughs> so we have an extended interview with Harry S. Dent. Uh, and actually a great announcement of a, uh, that's very germane to Southern California, where our show originates from, about a whole bunch of uh, economic analysts and forecasters that are coming together for Harry Dent's summit in uh, Torrey Pines. That's near San Diego on November 6th through the 8th. It's called the Irrational Economics Summit. And we'll tell you how to make reservations for that. All right. So first off, let me just set the scene here. I want to read you an interesting passage about where we came up with this metaphor. Um, This is from, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about the author in a minute, but uh, this is from a chapter called The Economy on Crack, The End of Keynesian Economics. And it says, imagine someone very close to you, someone who is part of your everyday life and upon who you depend is a drug addict. This person, quote, goes cold turkey, unquote, one day and inevitably begins to suffer symptoms of withdrawal and detox. Along comes the drug dealer and he begins throwing not just more drugs, but harder, more addictive drugs at this person. Do you chase away the drug dealer and nurse your friend through detox, knowing that this is a difficult period But it's a necessary part of the process. Or do you welcome the drug dealer and actually cheer as more drugs are taken? This might sound a bit outrageous, but it is exactly what we are experiencing in our economy. The patient slash friend is the economy in which we all live. The drugs are debt, interest rates, and printed money. And the drug dealers are the central bankers and the federal government in a strange perverse world our markets are cheering as the patient is given more of what caused the illness in the first place now that is actually the opening page of harry dent's 2011 new york times best-selling book the great crash ahead strategies for a world turned upside down and in the second half of today's show i have an extensive exclusive interview that we did with Harry where we're going to go into why all of this is still playing out and how it's playing out. Now I'm going to read you a little bit more in a minute, but just think about that a minute, what he means by they're cheering. Essentially what has happened in this country is if you think about it historically, when the Fed says things are so bad, this economy is so stagnant, I'm going to print a lot of dollars. Is that good news or is that bad news? That's bad news. We have a bad economy and Wall Street loves it. And Wall Street shoots up on the anticipation that the printed dollars are coming in, but then it's not enough and it starts to falter again. And every time the Fed has come back and said, I'm going to print more dollars, Wall Street loves it. Now, what's interestingly enough that the, what's really happening here is a war between the Fed trying to inflate the economy and the economy trying to deflate itself. When you have huge debt 
that is accumulated. And that debt is going to be bad debt and toxic debt. At some point, it does have to break. That causes a deflationary spiral. Debts that were supposed to get paid are no longer going to get paid. It causes less money to be in circulation ultimately, and it causes a deflationary spiral. We'll talk more about that in a minute. The Fed is trying to print more dollars to reinflate it. And that's the essential war that is going on. And what's interesting you see today is now the Fed is trying to come off of doing that action in order to, quote, give artificial resuscitation, quote, whatever. I don't know who I'm quoting. I'm quoting myself. To give artificial resuscitation to the economy uh, by the printing of the dollars. But when do you when can you back off? When can the economy finally breathe on its own? And 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 if you think we're we're on the other side of this, let me just give you a statistic and then we'll move on. The statistic is this. In the last couple of years, we've created two trillion dollars of artificial uh, affluence. So have you. Uh, the, the government has has spent a trillion dollars known as fiscal stimulus that it doesn't have, but it's going to provide service. It's going to help people out. It's going to pay checks. It's going to pay uh, everybody money in different sectors and support different sectors with money that it doesn't have. So you got a trillion dollars of invented money there. Then you have the Federal Reserve Bank. Mr. Bernanke has printed another trillion dollars that he's just pushed into the monetary system. He's given it to the banks. He's tried to fill up any bank that was in trouble or, or other areas, uh, AIG and all these other things. And by the way, I'm not purporting nothing should have been done. I'm just trying to paint a picture here of two trillion dollars being created into an economy. And right now we have a sickly 2% growth in GDP that equals $300 billion of growth. So we've spent $2 trillion to get $300 billion in growth. Where would the economy be if you even took half of that trillion dollars away? And how long can we keep doing this? So this is what... This is the story of the day. And let's just do something here. Let's take a look at the uh, Wall Street Journal. Because what I want to do here is I want to just look at some daily news that's happening and, and correlate that to how everything right now really does come back to the essence of what is the economy running on? Is it running on drugs or is it running organically? And if it's running on the drugs, how do we get it off? That's what today's show is all about. Let's take a look at a couple headlines here. Okay, here's a story right here. Dividend stocks fall victim to Fed. Stock investors are getting a taste of what could be in store with a sustained rise in bond yields. A month of sharply climbing U.S. Treasury yields culminated last week in an abrupt sell-off among stocks that had been posting big gains thanks to demand from income-hungry investors. Hardest hit were utilities, telecommunication stocks, and real estate investment trusts, all of which had benefited from the Federal Reserve keeping government bond yields at rock-bottom levels. I'll explain this in a minute, by the way, if this doesn't translate to direct English for you. The Fed's extraordinary stimulus policies, which have pumped billions of dollars into the financial markets, had caused investors to seek out income in riskier fare, such as stocks and pay that pay high dividends. All right. So the bottom line here is that the Fed has decided that it's going to buy all of the U.S. government debt. So the Federal Reserve prints money and it buys the government debt. So when you're the only buyer, 
you don't have to deal with the risk involved in it. In other words, when people look at U.S. government debt or they look at any debt, they're going to demand a higher interest rate to the degree that they feel there's risk in owning that debt. If there's a chance you're not going to pay me this debt, I want a higher interest rate. We have a historically low interest rate because the Fed controls the market. As the Fed backs off, there is a natural inclination for these interest rates to come back up. So all you're seeing in that story is you're seeing the natural organic pressure of interest rates to rise, starting to rear its head because the Fed wants to back off. And so the stock market is hurting because it was benefiting because there was nowhere else to make money. And everybody's driving into into. Uh, dividend stocks. Now, that could be considered a government-made, Federal Reserve-made bubble. Would people have bought those dividend stocks and taken that risk if they had somewhere normal to go, normal interest rate markets? But the Fed has destroyed the normal interest rate markets. And at some point, the pressure is going to come back to them to rise. How do we get out of this? What happens when the Fed finally decides to let his finger off the, the trigger And let that bubble deflate. Who's going to get hurt? What's going to happen to the value of those stocks? Okay, it's just one story. Let's take another story here. Same same story, different stories, but underneath it all, it's the same story. This is just a good one. This is right to the point. Uh, In Economics Hunt for Answers, this is the outlook by Brenda Cronin. And she's just saying on Tuesday mornings, graduate students and professors fill a classroom here to watch uh, doctoral candidates run the economic gauntlet for an hour and a half. The presenters explain their works in progress. So she goes into this whole thing. Uh, I guess this is in um, some university. I'm trying to find out what the university was. I won't stall out here, uh, but they're asking basically the questions. What are the consequences of too much household debt? What's going to happen when the fed pulls back? What form should fiscal stimulus take? And does it help? I mean, it is the same story over and over again. Uh, Let's take a look here at another article. This is from the news in Japan. Uh, Prime Minister Shinzo Abe's popularity remains high despite a slide in Japan's stock market, according to a weekend survey conducted by the Kyoto News Agency. All right, so what's happening in Japan? Japan has had a declining population, declining demand, and so declining markets since the 1990s. They are under the impression, like is spreading around the world today, and this is known as Keynesian economics, that if you just print enough money and push it into the system, you can create more demand. The Keynesians believe that the economy runs on something ephemeral called confidence, Right. And confidence drives demand. Well, how about a shrinking population? How much extra confidence do you have to push in to a uh, economy? By the way, the birth rate in Japan is one point four babies for every two people, every couple in Japan. So their population is shrinking. And by the way, so will ours be soon as the baby boom starts to die off. And by the way, the baby boom is spending less. So we're already feeling it economically in terms of diminished demand from the baby boom and all the dollars printed in the world won't bring that back. And that's another crux of this situation. But the bottom line is Japan said, we're going to go on a binge. We're going to print money like nobody's business. Their debt to their gross domestic product ratio is twice as high as the United States. 
They're going to print money like mad, drive down interest rates, make money cheap so everybody can go and borrow money to somehow stimulate the economy. And it did push interest rates down for a while. And then they came right back up. Despite tremendous printing, they came right back up. Because organically, any who's going to buy Japanese debt for no interest, almost little or no interest, and think that's a good deal? Japan looks like a very default-ridden risk. And so I want a higher interest. But the banks are going to drive it low. So again, the story right here is Japan's stock market went up. Until the hat trick didn't work so well and it took a slide. But hey, he's still popular because at least he's a guy that's trying to do something. Now, again, if you think I'm just ranting, you're going to learn a lot about this on the show today because we're going to talk to some uh, great experts or at least get our sound bites from them. And you'll learn a lot more about why it is that when bad debt occurs and you have a bubble and everybody leverages into that bubble with debt, and then you find out that what you bought with that debt is not going to pay off, someone has to get hurt. And it's going to cause a shakeup in the economy, and people are going to get hurt that aren't going to receive that debt back. Uh, The government has to then decide whether they're willing to let that kind of a shakeup happen on their watch, and they lose votes. So what they'll try to do is recover, but then that debt never washes. If they just print dollars or euros or whatever, that debt never washes and the economy never comes back because it still has the 800-pound gorilla on its back. And the more that they try to stimulate back, they're just creating more money with more debt because they have to create more debt to do it. And at the end of the day, it is very much about giving more powerful drugs to the addict Uh, in order to keep them alive. I want to read you this other article really quick. Uh, This is Lingering Bad Debts Stifle Europe Recovery. The moving boxes were Irmo O'Grady's bedroom, waiting to be packed with the contents of a home sale he can no longer afford. Uh, Anyway, this just goes into that Europe can't recover because everybody's still got debt over their head. That debt has to break and wash, and that's typically what happens during depression or big recession periods. And businesses fail and banks fail, but the debt washes out. It's gone, and people can start over. And that is the name of the story that we're talking about today. The, 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 The markets are on a high. And uh, and that is because and what you have to understand is, is that you have the Fed printing money. It is that money's got to go somewhere. It goes into stocks because they get a better return, but it's not going into interest rates because they're being artificially held down. But the problem is what happens when that plug gets pulled? And that's what we want to talk about today is where is the end of this? How do we get off of this stimulus addiction without crashing the markets? And I don't believe we can. And my point of the story I want to tell you here is that I think you need to take a good look at who you are. Are you a saver or are you an investor? Certainly very, very wealthy people can afford to have losses and ups and downs are very qualified investors. And if the market loses 40%, uh, I don't cry much in my beer for those people. But the average working American tends to be a saver. Let's define investment as the money that you know you might have a loss. You're cognizant of that. You've 
plan for that. And so if it happens, you don't want it to happen, but it's not going to ruin your life because you've been a, a, a smart, cautious investor about how much of your wealth you're willing to invest. A saver, savings would be the money that you're not willing to have a loss. If you lose that money, your life is going to change. Most working Americans only really have savings. If they lose that money, as we saw in 2008, and as we saw in the tech bubble, lives are ruined and retirement plans are ruined and people have to go back to work. And it's an absolute mess. I believe that the crime of the last few decades has been how well Wall Street has marketed so many Americans to put all of their savings at risk into investments. People blur that line. They no longer understand savings versus investments. Now, a party to the crime has been the the Federal Reserve chairman, because the bottom line is he's making it so unpalatable to try to save, to put money somewhere where it's not at risk. If it's not at risk, you're going to go backwards just due to inflation. So it's all in. Everybody must be risk on with all of their money. And that's where we've gotten. All of the lemmings have come to the edge of the cliff. And now we have really what's going to be, and we'll get more into demographics in a minute, but a demographic cliff. You have the shrinking of demand organically versus the government's attempt to pump demand up by printing money. Those two forces are at war. And so the real story of the next decade is going to be which one wins. So right now I want to introduce you to Mark Faber. Mark Faber uh, was born in 1946 and he is a Swiss investor. Now Faber uh, publishes a newsletter, uh, is the director of Mark Faber Limited, which acts as an investment advisor and fund manager. And he serves as director or advisor of a number of investment funds that focus on emerging and frontier markets. Um, he is has a reputation for being a contrarian, and he's written several books, and he's on a lot of the Talking Head programs. I recently just sort of caught an interview with him, thought it was very appropriate to the discussion we're having today, and want to play you uh, a good portion of that interview. This is from Bloomberg TV, and it is entitled, Not Even Gold Will Save You From What Is To Come. <laughs> uh, but there's ways to save you. It's not hopeless. And on this clip, uh, you're going to hear the interviewer is challenging him right off on the health of the equities markets and all that. So uh, he's uh, he's going to be put on the defensive right away of whether he's participated in the growth of the equities markets in the last few years because he's sort of a poo-poo on on them. And uh, they want to know whether he uh, missed that call. Have you participated in the rise of the equity markets in the United States? Well, I think that uh, I was relatively positive about U.S. stocks since March 2009. I haven't any short positions. I haven't been shorting any stocks since 2009. But uh, the U.S. March is up, consumer confidence march is down, and emerging markets are performing badly relative to the U.S. The dollar is strong, indicating uh, tightening mm-hmm. of uh, international liquidity and so I don't think that the US market will go up a lot from here I rather think that there is now considerable downside risk mark you have a unique perspective on continental Europe Switzerland Germany and the rest of the <laughs> cacophony uh, right now just your thoughts on the past week and a half that we've seen can Europe repair its house 
They can repair it and actually Europe has now a current account surplus which is positive but obviously the economy is contracting. Uh, we are in recession in Europe and this will have an impact on the corporate profits of US corporations as well because uh, say 40% of S&P earnings come from overseas but the bulk actually comes from Europe of those 40% and not from emerging economies. And so I think that corporate profits in the U.S. will continue to contract as they have actually, according to S&P, contracted in the fourth quarter of 2012. Mm. If you're looking at doom and gloom, Mark, you have to obviously be owning gold. <laughs> Why hasn't it held up as a safe haven? Excuse me, that's a really lame question. I'll get more into that later. Well, you see, when you print money, the money doesn't flow evenly into the economic system. It stays essentially in the financial service industry and among people that have access to these funds, mostly well-to-do people, it doesn't go to the worker. Now, I just mentioned it doesn't flow evenly into the system. Now, from time to time, it will lift the Nasdaq, like between 97 and March 2000, then it lifted home prices in the U.S. until 2007, and then it lifted commodity prices in 2008 until July 2008, when the global economy was already right. in recession. And more recently, it's lifted selected emerging economies, stock markets, Indonesia, the Philippines, Thailand, up four times from the right. 2009 lows, and now the U.S., so we're creating bubbles and bubbles and bubbles. And uh, it, also this bubble will come to an end. My concern is that we're going to have a systemic crisis where it's going to be very difficult to hide. Okay, Mark. Even I, in gold will be difficult to hide. Mark, my final question to you is simple. Within your report <laughs> and the great caution that your readers look for from you, we've just seen bank accounts raided in Cyprus. Does this set a precedence <laughs> yeah. for Europe or is it a one-off event in Cyprus? Only Faber knows what he's laughing about. Well, MF Global uh, the depositors were also raided. It's nothing unusual. And philosophically, I believe that uh, we shouldn't have deposit insurances, blanket insurances by governments, because it would force savers to be very careful with which bank they would deposit the money. Now, I just have to interrupt for a minute. That, I know that sounds harebrained. He's literally talking about eliminate the FDIC. But that is not the first time that that idea has floated around because one of the things that really brought the system down was all of the terrible, risky games that the banking system was playing during 2008, up leading up to the 2008 crash. And we still have too big to fail. We've done plenty of shows about the banking system still being too big to fail. One of the reasons the banking system does this is they know that they will always have confidence from the American people because the FDIC is going to bail everybody out. Well, the FDIC was a complete limp noodle in 2008. It took an $800 billion act of Congress just to put money back into the system 
in the banks that had just fallen out. So the point is that once you have governments insuring banks, you must regulate them. They can't do reckless things knowing that the government will always backstop them. And all Faber's saying, which is not the first time that's been forwarded, is maybe if we didn't have guarantor depositor insurance in the banks, people would stop and say, before I put my money here, I want to know what do you do with it? Who do you give it to? I'd like to see your portfolio. Now, are most Americans going to you know, want to go through that much trouble? No. But it is an interesting idea that part of the hazardous environment that's created that the banks thrive off of is the fact that they've always got the United States government backstopping them. The apparency is the FDIC, but at the end of the day, the FDIC can't begin to backstop them. But because of that expectation... Congress will step in and they'll make good where the FDIC doesn't. So I just wanted to uh, point that out and, and highlight that idea because uh, it's a it's a very relevant and germane idea to what's wrong with our system. Oh, and let me correct myself here in case William Isaac is listening to me. <laughs> Uh, There is a contention by William Isaac, former head of the FDIC, and and many others, that if the FDIC was allowed to do its job, we wouldn't have had to do TARP. So TARP replaced all the bad assets, didn't do anything for depositors. It just did everything to keep zombie banks alive. So when I say the FDIC uh, is is not uh, able to to get the job done, they probably could get the job done if they were allowed to in in, in terms of protecting uh, depositors, but not protecting the banks. What we got was the opposite end of that equation. There's an idea you can let a bank fail, but protect the, in, the depositor. And so the good banks would pay very low interest and take low risks. And the banks that take high risks, they would have high interest. By the way, right. in Cyprus, banks were paying very high interest. Like in Lebanon at the present time, I can get 6% on my deposits. So the depositors should have known something is dangerous. Right. But I would say the principle now is very important to understand. Until now, the bailouts in Europe and in the U.S. were at the expense of the taxpayer. And from now onwards, in my view, the bailouts will be also at the expense of the asset holders, the well-to-do people. So if you have money, like I am concerned, I am sure... The governments will take away one day, say, 20, 30 percent of my wealth. Okay, we're going to have to leave it there. Mark Faber, thank you so much. Greatly appreciate it. <laughs> okay, so what does this mean to you? Uh, it's it's a great academic study in, in, uh, in the world, you know, economy. But the bottom line that I'm really trying to get you to understand is that we have forgotten that there is risk. We've forgotten that... When things look great, and you're going to hear in a little bit here on on the second half of the show, Harry Dent will rant and rave at you about how everything looks so beautiful right before the crash. No one believes that there could be anything going wrong and everything is just going right before the curtain closes. So um, let me just go back and explain why you're even in this situation to have to be thinking about it if you're a working American. What happened back in 1974 is we had the Employee Retirement and Income Security Act, ERISA. Now, it used to be in our parents' days that people had three legs to retire on. 
three legs of what was called the financial stool. Today, we mostly have financial stool and not a leg to stand on, but that's a, a different topic. So anyway, the three legs of the stool were this. You had Social Security. That was a minimum floor that would aid you to some degree, but barely survival. Okay, You had then a company pension. The company was supposed to be loyal to you if you were loyal to the company. And it was much greater in the 60s and the 50s and before that that people had pensions that stayed with the company for a long time. And then you had personal investments and savings. So if you had those three legs, then those were very manageable. And your risk was really, I mean, your risk was only in one of those three legs because you were going to get your pension and you were going to get your Social Security if if the world went on as we expected it to go on. Well, what happened was that pensions were being mismanaged and promises were being broken. And so, you know, the government sort of went in and basically made the problem worse to a great degree. Uh, and one of the things they started to do is they created what was called defined contribution plans. Those are 401k plans. Now, that is not a pension. A 401k really is just a tax-advantaged savings plan. That's where, yes, you invest and save and you do stuff. But over time, that's replaced pensions. And so where most Americans are now is they're at a, a turning point. They only have Social Security and their investments. The pension is gone. And it's one of the problems of financial planning. Now, let me take this a step forward and tell you where this is really going to be even more greatly exacerbated in the next decade. Now, we've quoted on the show before a couple reports. One was from the uh, General Accounting Office of the United States Congress came out in 2011 uh, regarding uh, the hardships the baby boomers were going to have in retiring. Another one was from the President's Council of Economic Advisors. Uh, and, and here's the major concern they have, which is that when you go from a period in your life of accumulating wealth, accumulating wealth, accumulating wealth, it, it's math is really simple. It's every year you look at your portfolio and you're up 5%, you're down 3%, you're up 10%, you're up 15%, you're down 7%. The math is very simple. It's plus and minus of percentages. And that's all you have to think about. But the day you retire, that game ends. You're no longer making income. You have a wad of money and now you have to start to think about how are you going to spend your money? Because once you retire, it's not about accumulating wealth. The whole paradigm shifts to how do I spend wealth? And Americans are direly unprepared for this type of math because the math problem goes like this. Well, first of all, how many years does this money need to last? Well, I don't know. I'm 65. I might live to 90. I might live to 70, 75. That's a big difference. Are you going to, is this money got to last 10 years, 20 years, 30 years? Well, Let's make a decision. How do you make a decision? You have no idea how long you're going to live. So first of all, you have a complete and massive variable in trying to figure out how to make that money work for you. Secondly, you add into that, is the portfolio going to have growth over the future years or could it have a loss? Could I be planning to take money out only to find out that the market took money out too and I wasn't planning on that? Or will I make more or will I make less? So that's another variable that enters in. Then you have, uh, and it's very interesting, I have to tell you about this. One of the studies talked about the fact that 
If you took 30 years of market performance, you took each year of the performance, the plus or minus, and you flipped it on its head and you weren't taking any money out of the account, it wouldn't matter. You'd wind up in the same place. So in other words, if you had returns of uh, 10, 8, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1 percent over that 10 year period. And instead you had 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. If you didn't take any money out, it actually wound up being pretty much the same result. But when you're taking money out, if the poor returns happen in the front end of that process, it can cut dramatically the length of the portfolio. So in other words, if you have to draw out uh, $30,000 a year out of that portfolio, 40, 100 to live on, but the bad years are in the front end of it, you're not going to make it. So the sequence of those returns is extremely important in that math, too. Now, who is prepared algebraically of our listeners to work that all out on a slide ruler or a calculator or a spreadsheet and look at it every day and make your decisions each month and each year about your lifestyle? Oh, and there's another factor. What's inflation going to be like? Now, one of the solutions that we specialize in at Straight Talk Wealth Radio and at our private practice here in Southern California called Tax-Free Benefit Specialists and Insurance Services, we specialize in reconstructing privately the pension concept because the pension bypasses all of that. The pension doesn't care what the market returns on. When you have a contractual agreement that your check is going to be XYZ 10 years from now, it's going to be there. Now, you can also, now, depending on the plans that we have and the way we work, one of the factors these days that's become more popular is to work out an inflation protection on that income as well. So, in other words, if the uh, consumer price index, the CPI, were to go up 8%, that's pretty radical inflation, and you were getting $100,000 a year payout on your pension, it needs to go up to 108 and it never needs to be able to go back down from there. That's part of design that we, we do today. So this concept of putting the pension back in and letting you step away from the investment markets is critical to the discussion that we're having today. The, if, if, if hearing this makes you a little bit concerned, a little bit scared, that's because too much of your future is depending on events that you have no control over and no prediction over. And you might feel today like it's getting a little more predictable. I, I don't mean to be doom and gloom about it, but I just got to tell you quite honestly, the story's not over. And we know for sure that there is an organic, organic pressure for the economy to deflate while the government tries to reinflate it. And the clear winner of that process has not yet been called. And that's what today's show about. Now, listen, if you want to find out more about these pension concepts and how they can be worked into your portfolio, I'm going to give you a phone number. It's 888-882-5578. 888-882-5578. Now, we don't just pull shiny objects off a shelf. I'm sorry to give you a little plug here, but it's it's germane to the conversation strategic-wise to help you understand strategically how you go about this. You don't say, oh, well, that's a nice thing. I want to move $200,000 of my investment portfolio into a pension. You have to stand back and look at what are you really trying to accomplish in the long run? Who are you? 
How old are you? How many more years until you retire? If you already are retired, how many more years of life expectancy do you have? And then what what do you need to be accomplishing versus where you are right now? And let's pick an inflation rate. Let's calculate all of this against a certain rate of inflation and actually see where you are versus where you're trying to get to. Now, that is what we call creating a retirement roadmap. It is a strategic concept that helps you understand Really, in the bigger picture, what you're trying to do, because there's way too much investment going on these days that is just pulling the next shiny object off the shelf. And that's good. And my friend said this one was really good. So I'm going after that. And people do these tactical decisions all day with no strategic plan overall of what you're trying to accomplish. It's sort of like, you know, going out and buying the very best car that you really like just to find out that you never stop to realize you're taking a trip overseas to Hawaii or Japan. You can't drive a car over the ocean, but you got a really nice car. That's great. So you have to figure out strategy first. We do that for no charge and no obligation. We do a study that's very in-depth on that. That is always an epiphany for the people that receive that. It's called our retirement roadmap. So when you call 888-882-5578, 888-882-5578, you want to leave two times for one of our Straight Talk Wealth Advisors to call you back. They call you back on the phone. They will ask you six basic questions to get a snapshot of what your situation is. And then they will prepare the retirement roadmap for no charge, no obligation. And you'll get a printout of that. That is your strategic concept. You can plan from it. It's not necessarily a plan set in stone. It's a fluid study. What if this happens? What if that happens? What if this happens? What if you live longer? What if you live shorter? What if your portfolio makes 4%? What if it makes 10%? What if inflation's at 6 All those things in motion so that you can really get a gut feeling of how, how much risk are you taking versus what you need to get done. So again, you can also go to our website, uh, straighttalkwealth.com. Uh, click on the right-hand side. There should be a square that says Retirement Roadmap. Uh, click for Retirement Roadmap. I think it says Gain Peace of Mind in Turbulent Times. Or go to straighttalkwealth.com forward slash retirement roadmap and sign up there. We'll get that through the internet and then we will uh, contact you from there. We'll do that charge for uh, no charge, no obligation, um, and help you understand how to move some of these pension concepts into your portfolio. Okay. We're going to take a short break. Yes, even here on a podcast. And um, when we come back, uh, we're going to do a, a second segment. We're going to give you the whole interview with uh, Harry S. Dent. Harry wrote a book in the 1990s, the early 90s. We were in the middle of the George Bush, the first terrible recession. It was very, very bleak. And he said, these are the boom years ahead. And Harry operates on demographic influences of the economy. And um, he is a, a friend of ours of the show. Uh, I interviewed him at length this morning. No, this was uh, yesterday morning. <laughs> the days go by, don't they? And uh, I'm going to play that interview for you. It's very, very enlightening. We talk about a lot of different topics. We talk about what the triggers would be that could collapse the markets as they are today. What triggers would we be looking for for that to happen? What is the pressure for the market to come back down uh, and recede and for how long and how hard? But um, we will also play, before that, I'm going to play a little bit of a clip from the Wall Street Journal about what's right about the economy, things that are going well that you might not know about. And then you decide what we're going to be doing, uh, you know, which way we're going in this world. So uh, we'll be right back after this message. 
The Dow Jones Industrial Average, it ends the week higher. For more details, let's go to Deborah Kostrin at the NYSE. Deborah? Thanks a lot, Pim. And it was our third straight weekly gain for stocks. The government is actually the source of our problems. That the stimulus is not the solution. The stimulus is why the economy is so messed up in the first place. And to stop the spending and stop the money printing. And we have to let free market forces repair the damage of this economy by government. If we keep talking about the economy, we're going to lose. Why is your entire financial future tied to events that you can neither predict or control? We know these are different times today. After two horrific crashes in stocks, in the tech bubble of 2000 and the banking crisis of 2008, most investors are no further ahead today on gains than they were 10 years ago. Sure, when the market's up, we forget that risk and loss has ever happened. We want to believe that the good times will last forever. So has the government made it all better now? Or could the other shoe drop once again, once the government's stimulus, zero interest rates, and quantitative easing all run their course? What would happen to you if the next market bubble were to burst? Right when you were planning to retire, or worse yet, you already are retired, and a market setback that doesn't rebound forces you to confront a change in your lifestyle. But the fact is, there is a solution to risk without giving up growth. What if your safe money, the money that you plan to live on one day, the money you can't afford to have losses with, can actually outperform your investments? Think that means getting 2% in CDs at the bank? Well, think again. The safe money concepts your Straight Talk Wealth Advisor can help you with carry two unprecedented guarantees that bank CDs can't even come close to. One, until you need to spend it, the value of your money for future income will double every 10 years at 7 to 8% rates, guaranteed. Did you double the value of your stocks and mutual funds in the last 10 years? Two, when you need to draw down your funds to live on, you will receive that income as long as you and your spouse both live, even if your account value has been entirely withdrawn down to zero. You never have to worry about spending down your principal in retirement ever again. Want to see how this kind of safe money concept can work in your portfolio? Would you like to see a specific proposal on how you can protect your wealth and prepare and prosper in the coming decade of change in America? Call now to 888-882-5578. 888-882-5578. And request your Straight Talk Wealth retirement roadmap for no charge and no obligation it's a two-minute call you simply leave your contact information with the operator and two times one of our straight talk wealth advisors to call you back during the week they'll call you back later in the week to ask you six basic questions to get a financial snapshot of your situation when do you want to retire or are you already retired What level of income will you need at retirement to preserve your lifestyle? 
What resources will you have to get there? And specifically, what rate of return will be required to meet those needs? Find out by calling 888-882-5578 now. That's 888-882-5578. Within a week, your advisor will have prepared your personalized retirement roadmap study for no charge and no obligation. From your study, you'll see how by increasing the rates of return you can get on your safe money, it reduces the pressure you need on the rest of your investment portfolio that you may leave at risk. Call 888-882-5578. 888-882-5578. Receive our specific illustrated plan to steer you through the economic and financial minefield of potential market volatility, inflationary or even deflationary pressures of this country in the next decade. Get a personalized plan based on your specific situation, needs, and your goals for no cost and no obligation. Call 888-882-5578. 888-882-5578. That's 888-882-5578. So tonight I'd like to talk about the economy. Content of Straight Talk Wealth Radio is for educational purposes only. Any discussion of financial products and their features is subject to change without notice. Consult your own tax, legal, or financial advisor as to your specific situation. Tax-free benefit specialist and insurance services, California license 0E48147.